things that people need to recognize is that trafficking can happen anywhere. The other thing about human trafficking is I think frequently people think of human traffickers in the situation in the way that media portrays it, that it's some evil boogeyman who's obviously and very easily identified. But in reality, traffickers blend much more into society. It's much harder to identify. They don't walk around with a big sign saying, I'm an abuser or I exploit people. Welcome, everyone, to Women of Peace Corps Legacies podcast series, Extraordinary Women. In these podcasts, we talk with those seemingly ordinary women who have used their Peace Corps experience to do extraordinary work on behalf of women and girls around the world. These are conversations with ordinary women who are adventurous and risk-takers. We highlight their stories and explore their leadership journeys. I am Marianne Minutillo, your host and a founding member of Women of Peace Corps Legacy. My guest is Kelly Cronin, who currently works as a counter-trafficking in persons advisor with the Agency for International Development. Kelly was a Peace Corps volunteer in Albania from 2003-2005 working in community development. I look forward to hearing about how Peace Corps gave direction to her current career path of counter-trafficking in persons. My first question is, please share your Peace Corps journey and the work and projects you accomplished that got you focused on international development. Thank you, Marianne. I'm pleased to be here with you today. Before I joined Peace Corps, I already had some international experience and some work experience. When I was 20 years old, I was working as a resident assistant for an international language school and became very interested in what it meant to go to a new country and take on new experiences and learn new things. And so after that, I moved to Slovakia and worked there for a while with a local NGO and then went back and got my degree. And I think that that combination of work experience and early international experience helped me understand that I knew I wanted to do something internationally, that I really enjoyed international development, that I really enjoyed working with women in different women's empowerment programs, but I still wasn't quite sure exactly what it was that I wanted to do. I just knew that I wanted to continue having the opportunity to go to new countries and learn new cultures. So I applied to be be a Peace Corps volunteer in 2003 and was placed as a community development volunteer in Vlora, Albania. And it was a very interesting time to go back into the country because we were the first group of volunteers after the Peace Corps program there had shut down due to the 1997 conflict. So it was a good opportunity for us to work in the community and really help the community understand what Peace Corps was. And there was a lot of opportunity for us to define what we wanted our Peace Corps assignments to be. So when I first got to my host site in Vlora, Albania, I was assigned as a community development volunteer with a local NGO that provided support to other NGOs in the town. And while I liked my assignment, I knew that I wanted to do more work with particularly women's groups. 
So I asked my counterpart if there was a women's NGO in town where I could also do some work part-time with them. They mentioned that there was a women's organization that had recently started and they would put me in touch with them. At that time, I didn't realize the women's group they were talking about was a shelter for women who had been trafficked. And I had very little knowledge of what was happening in terms of human trafficking or what the NGO did. But I was very happy to go work with a group that was focused on women's rights and women's empowerment. So they put me in touch with the Vatra shelter for women who had been trafficked to see if I could do some work with them. And the women's shelter said they would be happy to have me come do work with them. And they basically said I could help define whatever it was that I wanted to do in coordination with the shelter and and their objectives. So I proposed to the shelter that I go in and I do several days a week English language training, as well as just social activities with the women who had been trafficked and then help the women's shelter staff do prevention activities and other basic NGO management. I always say that this was a great opportunity for me to work in the shelter. It was kind of my introduction to what human trafficking was, because during my two-year assignment as a Peace Corps volunteer, I spent a lot of time in the shelter talking with women who had been trafficked about everything, every aspect of their lives, and what they hoped for in their future. And it was a really good firsthand education for me in what this issue was. So it sounds to me like you were first exposed directly to women who had been trafficked during your Peace Corps experience. Can you tell us how your Peace Corps experience has led you to the career you now have? Sure. So during my Peace Corps experience, I had met and talked with and gotten to know about 300 women who had been trafficked. And from that experience of spending two years listening to their stories, what they expected for their future, the obstacles that they were still facing, I felt very strongly about how the counter-trafficking efforts could better respond to their needs and what they needed to exit the situation and to have proper support to reintegrate back into the community. In my last summer as a Peace Corps volunteer, I got to know several of the women in the shelter who had been trafficked, who left a big impact on me. One of the women I had become good friends with, she shared with me her experience of how she had been trafficked, the stigma that she faced when she had come back home, the trouble that she was having getting accepted back into the community, finding a job to take care of her son. And I remember that During the time in talking to her and hearing about her story, she slowly started to mention how one of her traffickers had found her and had been in touch with her again and was enticing her again with an opportunity to go back to Western Europe to essentially be re-trafficked back into commercial sex work in Western Europe. And we were working with her to try and figure out how we could help her stay in her home community and find a job. And one day she just disappeared. And I still, to this day, don't know what happened to her. I don't know where she went. I don't know what ended up happening to her. 
But it was a really difficult experience for me to see that this young woman who wanted to be back home, who wanted to find a job in Albania, had simply disappeared and we presume was re-trafficked. And I felt like that experience was very symbolic of how the counter-trafficking community was not listening to the experience of trafficked people and really instituting programming that met their needs so that they could fully reintegrate and recover from their trafficking experience. Another experience that happened that summer was one of the young women who had been in the shelter temporarily. Admittedly, I didn't know her very well. She had gone to the prosecutor and given evidence against her trafficker and began receiving death threats to withdraw her testimony. And the prosecutor was not willing or able to withdraw her testimony. And there were not adequate protections in place. And after a few weeks, uh, her body turned up on the beach in Vlora, um, and they discovered that she had been murdered, we presume by the trafficker who wanted her to withdraw the testimony. And that was, for me, a really difficult experience to observe um, and to go through it was a very clear indication to me that the way trafficked persons were being protected was not working, that that situation should have never happened, and that there was a very significant need for the counter-trafficking community to think about how people who have been trafficked are being protected so that they can go through the reintegration process. Those two experiences those two young women that I met in the shelter during my last summer of Peace Corps service had a very significant impact on me because I started to realize there was a lot more that the counter-trafficking community could and should be doing to take into account the experience of people who'd been trafficked and what they actually needed to be able to reintegrate into a healthy and safe life after their trafficking experience. So after my Peace Corps service ended, it just so happened that the person who had previously been serving as USAID's anti-trafficking advisor was leaving the agency, and there was a position that had opened up to join USAID Albania as an anti-trafficking advisor. So I worked for USAID Albania for a total of three years. And when I was finished with my assignment as an anti-trafficking advisor for USAID Albania, I came back to Washington, D.C. and joined an implementing partner who was managing a project called the Anti-Trafficking Task Order and spent about another two years working on counter-trafficking activities. At that point, I had been working on counter-trafficking for about nine years, and I felt like I had learned a lot about trafficking. I had learned a lot about how different agencies and organizations can best combat human trafficking, but I felt like I had spent so much time during those nine years focused on stopping and preventing and combating human trafficking that I really wanted to focus on the other side of the coin of a more positive approach of how do we include, how do we empower, how do we encourage vulnerable groups to be included in development programming so that we prevent trafficking before it begins. 
And from 2012 to about 2020, I worked on a variety of different projects where we were defining and promoting inclusive development. In 2021, I got an opportunity to move back into the counter-trafficking space. And about a year ago in 2022, I rejoined USAID, this time joining USAID Washington to continue my work as a counter-trafficking in-persons advisor. Kelly, thank you for those stories and your journey. Counter-trafficking in persons is really a tough area of work, and I imagine it's more widespread than most of us think. Can you tell us something about the scope of this crime worldwide? Yes. So we know that trafficking in persons occurs in every country in the world, even in the U.S., And it occurs in a wide variety of sectors. I think sometimes when people think about human trafficking, they think about a particular industry. Sometimes people may think about human trafficking and they think about commercial sex work, or they may think about human trafficking and think about forced labor in a a manufacturing facility. But really, trafficking can happen in any sector. At its root, trafficking is about the exploitation and abuse of power of one person over another for the purposes of commercial exploitation. Trafficking can happen anywhere. And to be able to recognize the problem, you need to understand the subtle red flags that somebody is being exploited and abused against their will. One of the things that I've learned throughout the many years of going into countries and talking to people about trafficking is that the issue is constantly evolving. Human traffickers are an extremely resilient group of actors who can easily shift their business model to operate in context where they can operate with relative impunity, where they can make a big profit, and where they have access to uh, victims. And so when we're talking about having an effective response to combat human trafficking, I think it's really important that we're mindful of having a flexible response where the counter-trafficking community can be as nimble as human traffickers to continually evolve and change our response to combating trafficking. A good example is over the last 20 years or so that I've been working on counter-trafficking, we've seen a whole variety of new models of human trafficking pop up. When I first started working in counter-trafficking in the Balkans, there was a heavy focus looking at addressing sexual exploitation of young women in Western Europe. However, in recent years, there's been an emerging trend of trafficking, particularly young men who are university educated and speak English into what is known as the forced criminality or cyber scamming compounds in Asia. So it completely has changed the victim profile of who's being targeted, where they're being trafficked to, and for what purpose. Think about the number of people who are experiencing trafficking. Thank you, Kelly. What motivates you or inspires you in this very difficult and challenging work? 
One of the things that really motivates me is that a lot of the women who I met who had been trafficked in the shelter had desire as young women that they wanted to take advantage of an opportunity for a job, for travel, for adventure, for security, for something new. But through unfortunate luck and unfortunate circumstance, they were tricked into a situation where they were horribly abused and exploited. When I was 20 years old, I felt very fortunate that I had this opportunity to travel and see the world and try something new. And I was very safe and it was a great experience. But that experience isn't the same for everybody who's trying to make a better life for themselves. So I think that was one of the big things that really struck me when I started working with these women. To a certain extent, I saw a little bit of myself in them, that same desire as a young woman to go out and see the world. And I felt a sort of calling that I wanted to be able to provide support and help them out however I could. And so I think that's really one of the main things that motivates me in both counter-trafficking work and inclusive development is that everybody deserves the opportunity to be safe and to pursue a future where they're going to have the opportunities they want for their life. For me, that's the main thing that really, really motivates me to keep doing this work. That's why you're good at what you do. You care. <laughs> Thank you, Kelly. Trying to reduce the crime of trafficking it have seemed like an uphill battle. Is there a success story that you can share, something that you feel proud of? Yes, there is a, a story that I feel particularly proud of. As I mentioned, when I was a Peace Corps volunteer, at the end of my service, I had a couple of experiences where I saw that the protection system for people who had been trafficked was not really doing what it should be doing. And I was very inspired to think about how can the counter-trafficking community provide better protection for people who had been trafficked. When I joined USAID, I had come into that position already having a very close relationship with all of the different shelters in Albania that worked and provided service to traffic people. And when I was at USAID, I continued to have a very strong relationship with the different shelter groups. About a year and a half into my experience with USAID, one of the shelters approached me because they had a young woman who had been trafficked when she was 14, brought back to Albania, kidnapped and re-trafficked, brought back to Albania, and continued that cycle of being trafficked, re-trafficked about seven times before she turned 18 years old. When they came to me, she was in her early 20s. And they were having a hard time finding a long-term solution for her to reintegrate into the community, primarily because of security concerns. Her trafficking case was not going through the courts as quickly as it should have been. And she was facing a number of threats from her trafficker who wanted her to withdraw her case from the courts. And the shelter came to me because the different embassies in Albania had been working together previously to provide visa protection or refugee protection to certain trafficking cases that were very difficult to reintegrate back into Albania. And they wanted to see if there was a way that the U.S. embassy or some of the other embassies could take on her case and provide her refugee protection in another country. 
So I was very fortunate that at the time we had an ambassador in place who was willing to support her refugee application to have her be relocated to the U.S. so that we could come up with a durable and safe solution for her long-term reintegration. And was very lucky that her refugee application was accepted and we were able to provide her refugee protection to come to the U.S. After we processed that case, I was told that it was a special situation, that it was a unique circumstance that could be provided that one time. I should not expect that I was going to get other cases through because they didn't want to set a precedence of providing refugee protection to people who'd been trafficked in the U.S. So after that first case was processed, um, one of the shelters came to me and had another case that, in my opinion, was even more serious with the security risks that were presented. And despite being told that I should not apply for another case to be given refugee protection in the U.S., I did apply for another refugee visa for this case, and it was accepted even quicker than the first case was. And so this personal accomplishment of seeing and being able to respond to a need from the shelters to provide a long-term reintegration plan for these two young women to be able to move to the U.S. and restart a new safe life in the U.S. was one of the accomplishments that personally I feel most proud of from my time working for USAID Albania. Those are wonderful stories. I can imagine how proud you feel. They're real success stories. Have you had any role models, women who really inspired you in your career and life? Yeah, I think for me, I've had a number of role models. And most of the role models are people that I have worked with directly one-on-one. Women who have overcome an adversity, who really have shown strength in the face of different challenges, but still managed to be kind. I've met a number of women who've just gone through very difficult things in their lives, and somehow they've come out of it even stronger than I feel like I am, but they're able to laugh, they're able to be kind. And some of these women who have gone through really difficult things I see them as role models because they've taken that hardship that they've gone through and really are committed to being kind and helping out others. And I think that that's such an incredible skill that I've seen in other women of being able to turn around something and have strength. One of the other kind of groups of role models that I've had is I've worked with a number of women throughout my career who focus on the tasks at hand and getting it done well, but also approach work with kind of a spiritual side of what are the bigger implications on this for you and for your team? And how do you navigate working with your team in a way that empowers them to be the best people that they can be? And that empowers your team to really rise to the occasion of whatever you're facing so that as you're working on something, you come out of it feeling really proud of how you handled it. Great answer, Kelly. Can you give some advice to up-and-coming professionals who want to work in international development or encounter trafficking? One of the things that somebody said to me when I was first starting out, and I was really concerned about, you know, what job I was going to have and if it was going to be doing things that I wanted to do, this friend of mine said to me, 
it doesn't really matter what your job is. It matters how you interact with the people that you're around. This friend said, you could have an amazing title where in your job description, you're responsible for really cool sounding things. But if you're a jerk and you make the people around you miserable, you're going to have a far more negative impact on the world than if you're just working in a regular job and you go into the office and you treat people with kindness, you treat people with dignity, you listen to them, you respect them, and you focus on making sure that you are creating a good environment. If you do that in your life, you're going to have a much greater impact if you're conscious of how you're engaging and how you're treating people. So that's something that when I'm frequently talking to people about what they should do with their job, I think it's really important to remember it's not always about the title, but it's about how you show up and how you interact with your colleagues in that position. Another piece of advice is that trafficking and exploitation and abuse often flies under the radar, that it often happens much more frequently than we realize. And I think that that's partly because a lot of times vulnerable groups get othered. When we other groups who are different from us, we set it up so that as a society, we act like it's normal for those people to be working in the field in harsh conditions. As a society, we set ourselves up to believe that it's acceptable to treat immigrants a certain way because they deserve it. And so over the years of working on counter-trafficking and inclusive development, I know that people really want to get involved in addressing human trafficking in some big, grand way. But I think that the little steps that people can start to do, even right now, to address trafficking and address this level of abuse and exploitation is to really start thinking about what are the narratives I'm saying and I'm telling myself about people who are different from me, who maybe have less than me? And what are the narratives that I'm telling where I'm saying it's okay for them to be treated poorly, or it's okay for them to have less than I have? Because that is what sets us up as society over time to engage in these really extreme forms of abuse and exploitation. And I think that if as a society, we start saying now, how can I treat everybody with dignity and promote inclusion of everybody? Whether that is the homeless person you see begging on the street, walking to work, whether that is a colleague who is different from you, whether that is any group that is being ostracized, by taking a step back and thinking about what can I do differently today to start empowering them and give them their dignity, that I think in the long run will have a much greater impact on stopping the phenomenon of human trafficking than doing some big, you know, putting up a sign about counter trafficking and getting involved in a program. I think it's a, a societal shift that we all need to work towards. What great advice, really. Kelly, I think that what you expressed was the kind of work that you do, how important it is to you, and really how important it is to the world. Thank you for your service, Kelly, and for your commitment to mitigating this terrible crime of trafficking in persons. And thank you for sharing your story with us today. Thank you, Marianne. This concludes today's podcast. A big thank you to our listeners. Please visit our website, 
womenofpeacecorelegacy.com for more information about other episodes and our work of inspiring and supporting women and girls. Thank you so much for joining us. Thank you.